Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about how um, for each and every one of us as we walk through life, there are some intangible things that we're searching for. And today as you think about your own life and you think about the things that you're searching for, the, the things that are driving your behaviors, like maybe you're searching for peace or maybe you're searching for joy or maybe you're searching for meaning or significance. Like these are the, the, the underlying things that drive what we do, right? So we have these these intangible things we're searching for. And that will be a great conversation for this morning to talk about what your heart is longing for, what you're searching for. But today I want to I flip that over and I want to speak to you about what God is searching for. What God is searching for. And the things that, that God values and what he's looking for. Like when God looks from heaven to earth and he, he looks into your life and he looks into your marriage and he looks into your home and he, he's watching you as you walk through the halls of your school and he's, he's seeing what you're doing when no one's looking and when you're on the internet and, and when you're with your friends and the good times. Like God's watching it all. What is it that he's looking for? It's a great question, I think. Fortunately, we don't have to go far to find the answer because Jesus himself gives us the answer. He tells us what he's looking for as he and as his father look from heaven to earth and examine our lives. What is he looking for? In Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus makes this statement, which I think we ought to pay attention to today. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes, that's Jesus coming to establish his kingdom on the earth. So that has already begun, but one day will be completely fulfilled when he will come in the clouds and establish his eternal kingdom on earth. But he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, what's that word? Thank you, that was lame, but we'll try it again. When he comes, will he find find faith on the earth? In other words, Jesus says, the thing I'm looking for is he's walking around Israel and he's looking at the crowds and he's speaking with these people and those people. He's looking for something. He's looking for faith in the hearts of people. And I could say today that Uh, God isn't looking for people who attend church. It's true. I think attending church is a great idea. Like, it's better to be here than sleeping in. It's better to be here than sitting at home watching Netflix. Here is a place where you can hear from God and you can experience community. And there's so many reasons to attend church. But God isn't looking for church attenders. He's not even looking for for generous people. Although generosity, when we engage in generosity, it, it kills greed in our hearts. It's a beautiful thing. God is generous, and so we we can be generous, and we should be generous, but he's not looking for generous people. He's not even even looking for moral people. Like God isn't in heaven going, where's the person who's doing the most good things and not doing all the bad things? Like That's the person. No. He's looking for faith. He's looking for faith. He's looking for a people of faith, a people whose hearts turn towards him in trust and in confidence in him. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, the author of Hebrews writes this, this, this phrase that maybe you've heard before. He says this, without faith, okay, because that's the subject today, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, think about that. In other words, he's saying you, you can't do enough good things to please God. You can't give enough money to please God. You can't live a moral enough life to please God. You must have faith in him. 
You must have faith in God. I think one of the reasons for this is because it's so easy for us to think that we can somehow achieve it on our own. And faith isn't something you achieve, it's something you receive from him and you place back in him. Faith is this thing that God and his son Jesus are looking for and he's looking for it in you and he's looking for it in me. Today, um, normally when I preach, I, I share lots of funny stories and illustrations and try to drive a single point home. Uh, but today I want to teach a little bit, and I, I just literally want, to, want us to walk through this interaction that Jesus has with the centurion, and, and I want us to, to learn some things about this kind of authentic faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, because I think we all have different ideas of what faith is and, and how it works, and we'd need a whole series to, to dive into the subject in detail. But today I want to just, I want to teach on this authentic faith that pleases God. And, and so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, and I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 10, and then we'll swing back around and, uh, and talk about it some more. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, says this, when he, speaking of Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion, this would be a Roman, a Roman officer. Now, the context is simply this, that the, 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 the Jewish nation of Israel had been um, conquered by Rome, and so they were subservient to Rome, and they paid taxes to Rome, and there were Roman authorities and soldiers to enforce the will of Rome, and so he's technically, or at least would appear to be one of the bad guys. So here comes a, a Roman officer, came forward to him, to Jesus, appealing to him. He's, he's coming to Jesus, asking him for something, and he calls him Lord. Lord, he says, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus, he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, look at these words. It says he marveled. He marveled. And he said to those who followed him, which is primarily a Jewish audience, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel, out of all God's people, he says, have I found such faith. That's amazing. You know, as you read through the New Testament, there are often times when the people who are following Jesus marveled at the things he said, because he said some amazing things. Some hard things. But they also marveled at the things he did. He walked on water. He fed the 5,000. He healed and opened the blind eyes. He raised the dead. And Jesus did these amazing miracles. And people were like, marveling at Jesus all the time. There are only two occasions when Jesus marvels at somebody. The first one's in Mark chapter 2. Jesus has just begun his ministry. Word is spreading about this, this Jesus, this prophet sent from God who's doing amazing things. And he comes to his hometown. He's on tour. And he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and when he gets there, all the people are going, we know who you are. You're Joseph's son. You're the carpenter's kid. Oh, Mary's right over there, and there's your brothers and sisters. You can't be somebody special. And because they, they could not receive him for who he was, it says that he marveled at their lack of faith and could do no mighty works. And so faith somehow seemed to limit what Jesus would and could do in their midst, and Jesus marveled at that. He's like, man, that's a, crazy how these people had such a lack of faith. I don't know about you, but when I think about my life in relationship to God, I do not want to be someone who has a lack of faith, where God is limited to what he can do in and through me because I do not have faith in God. And so that's the one time he marveled. This, the centurion, is the only other time. In fact, this is the only time Jesus marvels at a great faith, and it's not even a Jew. 
It's remarkable. In fact, it terrifies me. I'll tell you why it terrifies me. It terrifies me because apparently um, faith is not always where you expect to find it. It's not always where you expect to find it. It terrifies me because I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Some of you have heard my dad speak. My dad's a minister, and he's come and spoken here at the church a number of times. My older brother is a pastor as well. And my younger brother is not a pastor. <laughs> he, uh, he makes it very clear that he's not a pastor, but he, he loves the Lord. And, and, and so I, I, was, I was privileged enough to grow up in this home where my parents taught me the Bible from the time I was, well, I can't even remember. You know, some kids were exposed to drugs. I was drugged to church. That's just what happened. Uh, we went to conferences on our holidays, and we sat and listened to the Bible being taught. I mean, that, that was the heritage that I have, and it was a great heritage. But I think somehow it, it produced in me over time a bit of a pride and arrogance. You know, I am a child of God, and I am a good Christian boy, and I have done all the right things, much like the people that Jesus is speaking to. And, and so I find this text scary because what it tells me because Jesus is going to continue on. We haven't read the, the continuation, but Jesus is going to say essentially that there are some people in the context that he's speaking who grew up reading the prophets and the law and offering sacrifices and doing all these things that were supposed to turn their heart towards God. And all it did was cause them to have faith in themselves instead of, I mean, the intended result was entirely missed. And Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you, Many will come from east and west. Now, Israel is this little strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea, and then surrounding them were all these godless nations, you know. And Jesus is saying, people from other nations who aren't the descendants of Abraham, who haven't been taught the Old Testament scriptures from the time they were kids, who haven't participated in the Passover feasts and all the feasts and festivals that were supposed to point you, all these people from other nations are going to come and he says, some of them are going to sit. And in fact, he says, many of them from east and west will sit and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Jewish faith. So Jesus is like, people you don't expect to be there are going to be there. They're going to be at the party in heaven. And then he says something that should scare all of us, especially those of us who grew up in church and in faith. He says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I often wonder sometimes who will be in heaven and who won't be. Now, I don't know. You know, I look out at the crowd and I think, you know, some of you will be there. Uh, <laughs> okay, hopefully all of you, all of you, I hope. Uh, but, but I wonder sometimes because um, you can't tell that on the outside. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Scriptures tell us that we're saved by grace through faith. There's this engagement of my heart with God's that we call faith and I wonder sometimes, like, I think some of us will get to heaven and we'll look around and be like, where's so-and-so? How come, how come, how come that guy's here? <laughs> he shouldn't be here, right? Like, what's a Roman centurion doing here? Like, who are these people and why are they here? Where are all the pastors and deacons? I, why aren't they here? I thought that was funny. Um, <clears throat> guess it shouldn't be. Faith is found in unlikely places, and God is looking for faith, not just the stuff we see on the outside. And we all ought to take, take note of that. It ought to scare some of us who have a great confidence in all the things that we have done for God. Um, I think the problem was, in, in this particular case, uh, that they misunderstood. The people listening to Jesus misunderstood what God was looking for. He's looking for faith, but they didn't understand what that looked like. like they, they thought that faith was inherited. 
Like, oh, well, our parents, we are descendants of Abraham. Like, we can trace our lineage back to the father of faith. Therefore, we have faith. Jesus is like, no, it doesn't work that way. You don't have faith because your parents had faith. You don't have faith because your spouse has faith. You don't have faith because your friends have faith. You have faith because you have faith. And God is looking for faith in his people. They thought it was inherited. It is not. They thought that faith was a belief system, a belief system, right? So when, when people talk about it, they say, uh, you know, what faith are you? Or I'm a person of faith. Usually they mean that they have some uh, spiritual disposition. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hindu. I'm an atheist. Those are all faiths. They're all things, frameworks that you believe in. Or what sect are you within a particular faith? So I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm Baptist, I'm Christian Reform, I'm Lutheran, I'm, and we have all these sects. And, and you know, all of those have their historical roots, and that's fine. But I think what God is most concerned about is do you have faith? Strip away the titles, strip away the expected behaviors. And God wants to know, is there faith in your heart? Does your heart turn uh, toward him. So that's the question we want to ask. But here's the question. If, if, if faith is so vital, if that's the thing that he's looking for in your life and in mine, then what kind of faith? What kind of faith are we looking for? So it's not all those things I just mentioned. So what kind of faith is he looking for? Well, it seems to me that it would make sense to look at this example of faith that Jesus says is the greatest faith he found in all of his ministry in Israel. He says, this is the faith that has blown my socks off. So I think it makes sense for us to look at it and to derive some of the principles from it and to really ask ourselves, is that the kind of faith I have? And if not, is that the kind of faith I want to pursue? Okay, does that make sense? So, so let's walk through this. The first thing that I wrote down is simply this. Faith pursues God. A person can say that they have faith in God, but if they don't pursue that God they say they believe in, they probably don't have faith. It's kind of more of a, a title or something else. Faith always pursues. It pursues God. We see that in the centurion in verse 5. It says this. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion, again, remember, this is a Roman officer, came forward to him, appealing to him. He's appealing to Jesus to help him. I think that the pursuit of Jesus is the first mark of faith. It's the first sign of faith in someone's life. People say they have faith, and then you say, well, do you pray to God? No. Do you read the Bible? No. Do you sacrifice anything for God? No. Are you obedient to the things he told you to do? I don't even know what they are. Like, that's not faith. Faith pursues, pursues God to know him and to obey him and to honor him and to love him. Now, God is, is looking for people who will seek him out and pursue him like the centurion. Do you have faith in your heart? Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let me read the rest of that verse that I began quoting earlier. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he tells us something about what faith is, the kind of faith God is looking for. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Remember, even Satan believes that God exists. But this next part is crucial, that he rewards those who seek him, who seek him. The faith that pursues God is the kind of faith that grabs God's attention. Here in the text, we have this Roman centurion. He would have been an officer over a hundred soldiers. And these soldiers would be the very ones who were enforcing Rome's will within Israel. 
And here comes this Roman officer coming to Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish teacher, and he's appealing to him for help because he knows and he really believes in his heart that the only place he can get help for his servant is Jesus. Now, have you discovered the only place that you can find the help, the peace, the forgiveness, the salvation, the hope that you need is in Jesus? Have you ever experienced that? I I, I remember um, experiencing that for myself. As I said, I grew up in a Christian home and I was doing all the right things. And then there was these moments along the way when I realized that that I needed him. That even though I had, had done good things and stayed out of trouble, that I needed a personal relationship with Jesus like none other. When that happens, when you and I get to a place where we understand our complete and total need for him, now we're talking about the kind of faith that God goes, oh, ooh, over there. And he begins to move in our direction because we're pursuing him. So faith pursues God. Here's the next thing. Faith can be seen. Faith can be seen. It was evident to everyone in that crowd that this man had faith in Jesus because he walks right through this crowd of Jewish people as a Roman officer, like, oh, what's he doing here? And he walks up and he's like, Jesus, please help me. I know you're the only one that can help. Everyone's like, whoa, we're still trying to figure out who he is. And this centurion seems to be quite confident who he is and what he can do. And he steps right into that crowd. And, you know, people say to me all the time, like, oh, my faith is private. You know, I have what I believe and you have what you believe. And that's all cute. It's cute, but in reality, what you really believe will determine everything you do and say, and people will know. I mean, people just hang out with you for a little while, like, oh, yeah, I know, he's a fake Christian, (laughs) or she's the real deal, right? Or that's a hypocrite. Like, you just know. You spend some time with someone, you begin to figure it out. Why? Because what you believe drives everything that you do. So faith isn't really hidden. It's, it's It's not really private, and so we shouldn't be ashamed of our faith. In fact, uh, we should be bold in our faith. I'm not talking about running around, you know, uh, with, with tracks and forcing people to read them, you know, like, hey, what do you believe about Jesus? And the person standing at the water cooler at work like, uh, it's kind of awkward. I just met you. That's not what we're talking about. Not those t-shirts. When I was in high school, they used to have t-shirts and have like a picture of Jesus' face with big muscles and it would say, Mr. Clean, he'll wash your sins away. <laughs> or bumper sticker that says, follow me to heaven or, you know, those types of things. This, <laughs> I know that's bad, right? Christians have been known to do these things. It's really embarrassing, actually. Um, but it's, it's a faith. It, it becomes, even, even, even if it's, it's a hidden faith, it, it becomes evident. Uh, one, of the, one of the turning points in my own life, um, as, a, as a sort of briefly mentioned in the message already, I was the good kid in my family. I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother uh, got into a little bit of drugs and stuff, uh, my parents kicked him out of the house at 16. Uh, his life was kind of snowballing out of control, and I, I'm going to watch that happen. And I, was, I saw it, and I was like, I'm not going to do that to my parents, and I'm going to be the good, faithful son, you know, in the, like the prodigal son story. I was like, I'm the good kid. And I was leading worship at church, you know, at 16, 17, in the retirement home, leading people to Jesus. And then one day, my older brother came home. I was about uh, 18. He was 22. And he had lived in the city. I hadn't really known him for many years. And he comes home at 22, and he, he sits down with me, and he looks me in the eye, and he's like, do you know Jesus? 
I'm like, of course I do. What are you talking about, man? Like, I'm the good kid. I'm the, I lead worship. He's like, yeah, but do you know, do you really, like, have you really experienced his forgiveness? I'm like, what are you talking about? You need his forgiveness. You're a mess. But me, I'm good. But his words stuck with me. I'm like, there's something to this. And I'll never forget that one day we had these two bedrooms up over the garage. And I went to go up to my room. My brother and I each had a room up there. And I'm walking up the stairs and the doors closed. And I hear in there guitar playing. And I hear him singing. And I'm like, oh, he's practicing a song. And then as I got closer, I listened. And I'm like, no. He's worshiping Jesus. Like, you know, tears flowing down the face. Here's this 22-year-old guy. By himself, nobody's watching, like he's not getting any props for this. He just wanted to worship Jesus, and it, it did something in my heart. I, I stopped and I went, wow, he's pursuing God in a way I never have. Makes an impact. He didn't have to say anything else. When you and I pursue God with that kind of passion, it becomes evident to everyone eventually. Faith can be, faith can be seen. Now, it's tempting for those of us, especially in the church world, just like for those early Jews, it's tempting for us to put a show on for other people because we want people to see that we're, we have great faith. So we pray big prayers. Oh, Lord. Quote scriptures. And everyone goes, wow, they're spiritual. Amazing. I want to be like that guy. Right? It's easy for us to, to go too far and to be like, I want everyone to see me. In fact, Jesus often accused the, 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 the religious leaders of his day of that very thing. He's like, everything you're doing is just to be, you want people to think you're spiritual. You're not actually pursuing God. You're pursuing the praise of people. That's possible. He says this in Matthew 23, verse 5. They do all their deeds, he's speaking to the religious leaders, to be seen by others. Maybe that's you today. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone's asking the same question. What in the world is a phylactery? It's a Christian swear word. No, it's not. Um, so a phylactery. Okay, phylactery. In Deuteronomy 6, God has given the law to the nation of Israel. They're going into the promised land. We read this text every time we do a dedication, right? He says that we as parents are, are to, to, to place the word of God as frontlets between their eyes. You guys have heard that. You're like, oh, frontlets, what's that talking about? This is this idea of phylactery. So the Jewish people who were really devout, they would take a Hebrew scroll with the scripture on it, and they would roll it up, and they would put it in a little case, and they would hang it on their forehead between their eyes to keep the word of God front and central. It's a beautiful image taken way too far. Jesus is like, they just keep making them bigger and bigger. It's like, hey, look at the size of the word of God on my forehead. And they were walking around going, look at me. I'm spiritual. And none of you would admit to doing that, but sometimes we volunteer because we want to be seen or we take positions of leadership because we want people to notice us and admire us. And Jesus is like, hey, that's not the kind of faith God is looking for. It's a heart thing. It's you and God thing. Who do you want to please? That's the ultimate question. Um, do you want God to notice you or you want people to notice you? You can choose your reward. Um, so we have a faith that pursues God. This is the kind of faith that grabs his attention. Pursues God, a faith that can be seen, it's evidenced in our lives. And here's the third thing. I love this. A faith that pursues God for others. For others. Notice I've highlighted for others. This centurion is not even humiliating himself by coming to a Jewish rabbi, standing out in the midst of all these Jewish people, 
by his faith in Jesus. He's not even doing it for himself. Do you think that might have gotten or grabbed Jesus' attention? I do. There's this thing called selfish faith. As I said to you earlier, when I was a kid, we went to faith conferences. And at some, of, some of them were great, some of them not so great. At some of these faith conferences, they taught us that we could have everything we wanted if we just employed our faith in the correct way. Get the right scripture, quote it, pray it the right way, you can have anything you want. They never quite said it like that, but that was pretty much what it was. Right? It's like you need money, you need blessing, you need promotion, you need a girl. You know, you do that. Uh, you can pray for all these things that you desire, and, and God would meet all the desires of your heart if you did it the right way. Um, now, some of that was really good. Taking God's word and believing it was good. Quoting the scriptures was really good. But some of it was a bit askew because it was centered around you. This faith that we see in the centurion is faith for someone else. That, to me, is is an absolutely beautiful thing. He says, Lord, verse 6, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Do you know, when when Jesus, or sorry, when God called Abraham, now Abraham in the Old Testament is the father of faith. God calls Abraham, he's going to send him out, he's going to create a nation, a land, a people from him, and all of God's promises to the world are going to be fulfilled through Abraham and his descendants. And in Genesis 22, verse 18, we find out... um, something about God's promise to him. He says this, he says to to Abraham, in your offspring, see that word offspring? Now initially that word offspring means his descendants, like his sons and daughters and all the way down the, the, the physical Jewish people. But also in that offspring, he's referring to Jesus, the promised one who would come through his lineage. The seed that God promised would come back in Genesis. So Jesus is going to come through Abraham's line. But what we discover in the book of Hebrews is that Abraham is actually the father of faith. And so all the people who have the kind of faith that Abraham had towards God become his descendants and fall under his blessing. And and he says this, in your offspring, so that includes those of us in this room who have faith, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God says, Abraham, I want to bless you and your descendants, and and through my blessing, you're going to bless the whole world. That's God's plan. God's plan is never just about you, but everything he's going to do in your life and through faith is going to roll out to others. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, this past week I've been doing a bunch of research. Um, I've mentioned this before. As a church, we want to have our own church home at some point. Like, we're going to need a space. We're outgrowing this space, and it would be great to have it. We have all kinds of things happening through the week, and we don't have a space. Um, so that's exciting, but it's scary because we've got to raise a lot of money. We've got to get all kinds of systems in place and people and research, and ah, it's annoying. But it has to happen. The thing that scares me most about the process is I've seen so many times with churches that um, they begin trying to reach people, and then somewhere along the line... Just like the Jewish people who were the descendants of Abraham who was, had a heart for God and faith in God, but somewhere along faith moved from God to their ceremony, their traditions, their form of worship. And have you ever seen that happen in a church where it started with like, we're just trusting God to, we're going to reach people, we're going to see God do amazing things, and all of a sudden somewhere along the line it's like, we have a building, we're like, this is where God lives. No, it's like a shell, it's just like the place where we meet. The thing that scares me most is that we might lose the heart of faith and the heart of the mission to reach people far from God in pursuing a building. Does that make sense? That, that's the thing. So, so for me, as we walk through that process, I want to make sure that we as a church stay on, like it's about people that God loves. And anything that he gives us or provides us along the way is just to help us with that. Does that, that make sense? So I mean, 
It's so easy. It's so easy to get sidetracked. So faith pursues God for others. And so Jesus responds to the faith of this man. Notice what he says, verse 7. And he says to him, I will come and heal him. Can you imagine Jesus coming to your house to meet your prayer request? <laughs> That's cool. Like, hey, you know, I really need this to happen. And God's like, yeah, I'm coming to your house. This is when you call home. You're like, clean up the entrance. He's coming. <laughs> Jesus coming to your home. It's amazing to me, like in front of all these Jews, Jesus is like, yeah, I'll go to your, the Roman centurion's house. Jesus goes to some places we wouldn't expect him to go. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come to your house because you have faith in me. And Jesus offers to the Roman centurion his presence and his power, which is amazing. Isn't that what we want? God's presence and power in our lives. But this is where I expect the story to go like this. And Jesus went to the centurion's home, laid hands on the sick person, and the sick person jumped out of bed, and everything was great. The end. Party. That, that's how I expect the story to go. But notice what happens next. The centurion says something that nobody's expecting and catches Jesus by surprise. Maybe not by surprise, but he marvels at it. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, this is odd. For... First of all, a Roman was in better standing socially than a Jew. He's an officer, and Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. So it, it would have been an honor, I guess, in some respects, for Jesus to be invited to this Roman, this powerful Roman's house. But he says, I'm not worthy of you. This tells me something about the faith that this man had. He believed something about Jesus that the other people in the crowd didn't believe. I mean, all the Jewish people around Jesus were constantly saying, well, who are you and who do you think you are? And what kind of authority? Who gave you the authority to say those things? And this guy comes along, he's like, I know who you are and I know who I am and I'm not worthy. A true faith in God is one that sees rightly our condition and sees rightly his majesty. You see, I was taught uh, from the time I was a kid that I'm, you know, loved by God and I'm a saint and I've been a child of God and I'm robed in his righteousness and all of these things are absolutely true in Christ. But there came a moment in my life when I realized, again, remember, I was the good kid, but there came a moment in my life around 18, 19 years old when I saw the sin that was in my heart. And it was no longer, oh, those bad people and me, the good Christian, it was like, what I see in me is absolutely ugly. I am unworthy of anything he offers. And it's from that place that your faith reaches out and you become a son. You become a daughter of God. You receive his righteousness and there is a gratitude in your heart that wells up from that place of knowing who you are apart from him. Does that make sense? That's important. Because a faith that doesn't have that is not a real faith. And so he says, I'm not worthy. And then this, okay, check this out. I, this is where I actually wanted to get. How much time do I have? I got one minute. So I guess we'll save it for next week. Uh, okay, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> you're just hanging on every word. You just really want to see what you, So he says, but only, I want to see it on the screen, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now there's this incredible story in the Old Testament that kind of is the flip opposite of this, Okay. Uh, it's found in, in 2 Kings 5.10. I preached on it years ago. There's a, a, a Syrian general named Naaman. And Naaman has leprosy. So he, he's got this bacterial infection in his skin. It's hideous. And, and it will eventually kill him. 
and he's a, he's, a, he's a general in the Syrian army, and he comes to the, to the king of Israel to get help, and they send him to Elisha the prophet, the representative of God in the nation of Israel. And so he comes to Elisha's house with his entourage, with gifts and chariots, and he, he, they knock on Elisha's door, or they call him, or whatever they did, and Elisha doesn't come out to meet him. Elisha's like, I will not come. He sends his messenger out, so you get the servant, Right? Have you ever gone to see somebody important? Have you ever gone to see your doctor and they send out a nurse? So frustrating. And they're perfectly qualified, I'm sure, but it's still frustrating. Like, I want to see the doctor. So this, this guy, Naaman, he shows up and, and, and the servant comes out and he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to the dirty Jordan River, wash seven times, and you're good. And Naaman is furious. He's like, this prophet of God won't even just come out and meet me? I don't even get his presence? Like, doesn't he know who I am? And and then he's like, I, I thought he was going to come out and wave his hands over me and do some miracle, like sprinkle some dust and, yeah, and like grab his head and throw him over and something really spiritual. He's like, I expected that. And he doesn't do any of it. All he gets is a message, go wash. And he's so furious, his servant says, whoa, calm down. Like, if he asked you to go conquer that nation, would you do it? Yeah. Well, go wash in the river. Just do what he said. And of course, he finally relents and he washes in the water and he's healed. It's amazing. This centurion is the exact opposite. Jesus says, Jesus, the Son of God, says, I will come and I will heal. And he's like, no thanks. Who does that? Like Jesus is like, I will come and fix the problem that you have. No, it's okay. You don't need to come. He says, but only say the word. And, and then he gives us some background information to understand why he says that. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does that. He's like, Jesus, I understand when I say something, it's as if I'm there, and it happens just as I say. That's true authority. And I know who you are. You're the son of God. And, and John, the apostle John tells us in the first chapter, that, that Jesus was in the beginning with God, that he was God, and that everything that exists was made by his word. So Jesus speaks and the whole earth comes into existence. And here you have this centurion. He's like, all you got to do is open your mouth and say it, and it's as good as done. And Jesus is like, you get it. You actually get it. In other words, what the centurion is saying is this. Your presence and your power are contained in your word. Now, that statement alone ought to put a grave emphasis on the importance of opening this thing in your homes. True? If the presence of Jesus that you need, the power of Jesus that you need, is contained in his word, we have it. Imagine what happens when we believe it and act upon it. That's what faith does. He says, just speak the word. And it will be done. It's amazing to me because um, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. Do what I've said. He also said this in John 15, verse 7. This is amazing. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. His word ought to be at the center of of our lives and our faith.
See, apart from this book that I'm holding in front of me, what, what context would we have at all for God? None. We'd all be making up stories. God has given us his word. And, and I wish I had time. I would take you to the book of Hebrews and show you how in Hebrews chapter 11, the author highlights all of these great heroes of the faith throughout the Old Testament. And he says numerous times along the way through the chapter, he says, all of them died not even having received what God promised them. God said to Abraham, you're going to have, uh, you know, as many descendants as the, the sands of, the, of the, the beach or the shore. He didn't see that. He promised him a city. He promised him a land. He didn't see it. But he believed that what God had said would come to pass. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. And every person along the way believed, 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 believed. What did they believe? They believed the word of God. Their faith was in what he had spoken. And actually, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to read this to you. Because I can. I'm in charge. Pretty sure nobody's going to come up with a cane and pull me off. The final verse in, uh, in chapter 11. This is for you, Diane. She's doing an Old Testament survey paper. Hebrews 11, verse 39. And all these, all these people of faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should, become, they should not become made perfect. And then he continues in verse 12. So many of you have heard this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people that believed God and took him at his word, even though they didn't see the fulfillment, they believed his word, they believed his word, they believed, they died, they believed his word. We're surrounded by them. They're looking on to us who now have the fulfillment of the word. We have Jesus, the very son of God, the one they were all hoping for, the fulfillment of all the promises God made to them was Jesus. And now they're looking and cheering us on. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Isn't that beautiful? Our faith drives us to Jesus. Our faith drives us out to serve others. Our faith is seen and our faith is ultimately founded and its foundation is right here in this book. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this, uh, for this morning, for each person present in this place. And Lord, I don't, I don't know where everyone stands, but God, through the years, you've revealed yourself to me in so many ways. But each one can be traced back to your, your word. And Lord, as we open up this book and we read it in our homes and we read it in our private studies when no one's looking, Lord, would you see our attempts to have a faith that pleases you? And God, we understand that we are not worthy in ourselves of your presence or your love or forgiveness. But in Christ, your promises to us are yes and amen. That everything that you have promised to Abraham, to his descendants, and to us, your children, you will be faithful to complete. Father, if there's anyone in this room who's never committed their life, who has never turned their heart and said, I need Jesus above all else, I pray they would do that before leaving this place today. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.